I could ask it for the same code three different times, get three different versions of code. All of them could work, but maybe one's more readable. Maybe one is more focused on security. Um, and you know, as the the human engineer who's um, looking at this, I need to decide which one do I want. Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week, we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect within Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Analyst with Fidelity Digital Assets. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, digital assets are speculative and highly volatile and are only for those investors with a high risk tolerance. So let's dive into what's been happening recently. Hey everyone, today we have a special guest uh, joining us. So um, welcome, Sarah. Sarah Hoffman is an AI and machine learning researcher in FCAT, and uh, we have invited her to talk about AI and the intersection of AI and crypto. So we are incredibly excited about it. Thank you for having me. So Jason and Ryan will miss this episode, but uh, I, I'm just so thrilled about this episode because I, I have so much to ask. Uh, and so what we'll do is we'll cover some of the important stories from last week uh, in the podcast. But before we do that, Sarah, do you mind giving us a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Um, so I've been in the AI field before people cared about AI. Um, it goes back a very long time. I'm, I've been in this role at Fidelity for almost five years where I look at um, future of AI and what's coming over the next few years. Before that, I was um, at a financial software company and I was there for 11 years. I started as a natural language processing engineer, um, ended up managing um, projects and teams. Eventually, the last five years I was there, I was uh, managing all the AI efforts in the company. Um, and so I've been, I had to basically be in AI at a time where <laughs> I had to prove it's a value, which is exciting that now we don't need to do that anymore. Um, I think at this point, most people realize the, that there is value of, with AI. I feel like at this point, AI is kind of eating the world. So I think you're, you're in the right place. Um, and kudos to you for having that conviction, um, a decade ago. So, um, what we'll do now is we'll just cover the news from last week. Uh, and so, Jack, I know a lot has been going on in the regulation and the enforcement scene, especially around Do Kwan getting arrested, Justin Sun. Uh, can you just tell us more? Yeah, definitely. So, so last week we had a number of regulatory enforcement headlines, and, and I can list a, a few of them here. And then actually this morning, as we're speaking right now, there was a, another big headline. So last week we saw uh, Coinbase disclosed they received a Wells notice uh, basically seeking information for, for different parts of their uh, company's offering uh, from the SEC. Uh, the SEC also announced charges against Justin Sun and a number of people who promoted uh, Tron. There were like eight celebrities that were listed uh, in the SEC's uh, filing or report around it. Uh, and then this morning, we saw reports that the CFTC is filing charges against CZ and Binance. 
uh, for you know certain infringements or uh, of of uh, certain regulatory things that that weren't being followed. But more clarity to come on that, I'm sure, in the, in the week ahead. And then, as you mentioned, uh, sort of like the headliner of, of last week, I guess, was uh, on on Thursday we heard that Do Kwon was arrested, and so Do Kwon and another member of Terraform Labs were arrested in Montenegro, attempting to board a flight to Dubai with allegedly falsified Costa Rica travel documents. Uh, Kwan was, I think, is wanted by uh, Singapore, by South Korea, and and also is facing charges from the SEC in the United States. Uh, Montenegro has an extradition treaty with the U.S., but not with Singapore and South Korea. I think it's still unclear um, what will happen next in that case. But sort of a lot of different pieces moving, both in terms of regulatory action from U.S. regulators, uh, as well as you know an- another person. Um, alongside you know SBF was uh, arrested and indicted Do Kwan now um, we're starting to see a lot of last year's sort of failures and collapses uh, start to be uh, sort of put into the courts I guess you could say wow I feel like so much is happening around in the regulation front we almost need a spin-off series uh, of the podcast <laughs> just covering regulation like it's it's almost wild uh, although in, in weeks like this I mean there's so many regulatory headlines and it's kind of just like you know, the, the mantra of like bear market building where there's a lot of things happening, but not necessarily a ton of things to point to on a week to week basis. So there's a lot of regulatory stuff to talk about. But if we spun it off uh, separately, <laughs> we might not have that many things to talk about. <laughs> That's true. So one quick story which I want to cover is around Bitcoin ATMs. Um, and so recently we saw um, a series of Bitcoin ATMs get hacked. So I'm sure a lot of you might have seen uh, Bitcoin ATMs or just crypto ATMs at gas stations or in, in malls. And so General Bytes uh, is one of the companies which makes a lot of these Bitcoin ATMs. And they suffered a hack uh, of 56 Bitcoins, right, which is close to a million, million and a half dollars. Now, the, the question is that it may seem small compared to most of the hacks in 2023 when you compare it to Euler Finance or you think about uh, the other hacks which have happened in the last two or three weeks. But the worst part is that the same kind of hack, the exact same kind of hack happened in August 2022, where $1.6 million worth of Bitcoins were stolen, right? And so the TLDR is that, needless to say, Bitcoin ATMs have a much higher risk in terms of the number of attack vectors, uh, which can possibly happen since you could have the physical kiosks hacked, you can have the software exploited, or you can have uh, wallets infiltrated. So I would be 10 times more cautious if I'm using a Bitcoin ATM. Um, but that's the that's kind of the gist. So I think that mostly covers the, the story from last week. I know we'll have more news uh, on regulation in the next week. But without further ado, I, I want to get into the AI discussion, right? So just to give some sort of context, um, at this point, everyone has heard about AI and chat GPT and large language models. Every person is going nuts about AI taking over the world. And so funnily enough, I used to be work, I used to work as a deep learning engineer in, in 2015, 2016, uh, where I used to work on NLP for literature. And um, in fact, when I joined Fidelity, I used to be working as an AI engineer for the experimental uh, virtual chatbot. Now, the only reason why I bring that up is because I remember most machine learning folks used to get really, really excited about things which would be even remotely close to how humans talk, 
right? And so for each use case, we had these individual machine learning models, one for code parsing, one for understanding human language, one for finding cats or dogs in an image. And the idea was to fine tune these models for just higher accuracy. And so now that's all gone out of the window, right? So we quickly realized that we do not have to teach these machines on how to classify. They just figured it out by themselves, right? They don't need that handholding. So I guess my question to you, Sarah, as an expert, is how would you explain these new developments in AI uh, to someone who has no idea what's going on? Like what's really changed in the last three to four years? Sure. So really when we started with AI and what people who, you know, 10 years ago started hearing about AI thought of is, okay, we won't need to do all those rote, boring tasks. AI will be able to replace them. And it can be even cooler. It can do predictions. If we're trying to make a prediction on anything, we can use AI to, to help us there. Um, but what we've seen over the last few years is, is that AI not only entered a new area, it entered an area where we all said AI would never be able to enter. We all said, don't worry if you're creative, AI will never be able to be creative. And what's happening now is that we're realizing we were wrong. AI actually can be creative and it um, is becoming a creator. Um, and it's also becoming very simple to use. So it used to be to use any type of um, AI uh, model, you really, you know, not only needed to be an engineer, you also needed to understand machine learning. And now you really don't need to understand engineering, you don't need to understand machine learning, anybody can use these um, models. And so we're definitely in a very new era of AI than we've seen before. The other thing I would mention is that the, the pace of change that we're seeing is also so much faster than we've ever seen before. You know, we're seeing new major achievements happening. Sometimes it feels like almost weekly. Um, and so that's also something really important to pay attention to. You, you kind of mentioned the pace of change that we're seeing uh, and how things have changed over the past five years. If you look forward to the coming five years, like, as somebody that, that sort of has the inside knowledge here, do you think the, the chat GPTs that we're seeing right now are just scratching the surface of what it will be five years from now? Yes, I do think that we're going to um, see, uh, like see, see something very different. So right now, if you think about how we're using these tools today, they're almost a separate, a separate browser. Okay, let me go to ChatGPT. No. It's and it's we're already seeing signs of it happening right now, where it's getting integrated into pretty much every application. Um, eventually, every application you're on will have something like this. Um, not only integrated, it'd probably be, be the primary interface of how to interact with it. Um, and so it'll all be one and you won't need to go to um, separate screen. The other thing that today, um, today you really need to understand how the tools work enough to be able to write a very good prompt, <laughs> the good text um, phrase to give these tools. But um, it, that's not going to be the case. If you think about how Google started, you needed to, you couldn't just search for something when it first started. You had to really know, okay, I want this word and this word, not this word or that word, but you had to kind of know how to phrase your search. Today, it doesn't matter. You can write whatever you want in Google search and you basically get what you want. And yep. so that also is going to change. You're not going to need to be so good at writing a prompt. That's true. Maybe one question that I have for you is, and I, I really, I think when I use ChatGPT, I almost think it's magical. And so I really want to understand what's really happening under the hood. 
So I remember back in the day, we used to have uh, this thing called recurrent neural networks or RNNs, which would basically parse any sort of language one word at a time. And it turns out that those were highly inefficient models and they were great for POCs, but you didn't really have anything at a production level, right? And then came this idea of just throwing all of these words of a sentence to the model, right? And have some sort of attention. So the, the one way which I, which I kind of used to explain, uh, explain the whole concept to my mom and dad was that it's almost like how aliens communicate in the movie Arrival. I don't know if, you, if, you, if you've seen it, no. but instead of communicating word by word like humans do, they would communicate a full sentence using their images and characters to optimize it. Um, so, and that's maybe some, that's the explanation of having a transform, transformer model, but I don't know if I got it right. Is there, is there something to add here? Can you just tell us about what's really happening under the hood um, in ChatGPT to someone who's non-technical? So the way I would explain it, and it is very tough to explain to someone non-technical, but basically when you think about how these large language models work is they're given so much text that um, the the um, like ne neural networks, these the deep learning um, algorithms here are able to take all that text and understand, they're able to learn patterns and structures of la for language. Basically imagine after having you know a few words, a sentence, can predict, oh, what's the next most likely word or phrase that would make sense here, given all the surrounding context. And so what's nice about this is it makes it really sound like it was written by a human because it's um, that's what it's learning from, this human text. Um, the other really amazing thing here, and I, Parth, you alluded to this earlier, is that it could, it's doing more than one task. You could, it could take all this, that this data, this text data that it's um, learning from, and now it can summarize it. It could translate it into another language. It could answer questions from it. And this is, you know, really amazing that it can do so many different tasks, you know, with just one model. Right. And so maybe my understanding is that you just have to throw loads and loads of data, right, at it. And you do it enough number of times, and the machine figures out what to do. So instead of us telling the machine that, hey, that's a cat, that's a lion, and they have different features, right? You just throw a bunch of information. And I feel like sometimes it makes people anxious, right? Because the idea is, are humans just needed for training and throwing data at it? It's, is it are we just like shoveling coal, uh, shoveling training information? It's almost like we are supplemental to AI since it only needs us for feeding information. Uh, wh what do you think about uh, this perspective? Should this make us uneasy? Or how do you respond to these kind of questions in general? Sure. So I would say today that's not the only way we're needed. One way, I mean, we talked about the prompt. So today you still need to know how to write that prompt and it's not that easy. So for example, when I um, try to get some code from, from these tools, I can say, okay, can you give me code to do X? But then I also need to say, now can you debug your own code? And it does. But if I didn't ask that, I would have to do that myself. I could say, can you optimize this code? And it can do that. But if I don't ask it to optimize, Optimize it, and sometimes it won't. And sometimes those are security issues. Sometimes it's just to make it more readable. Um, and so eventually, I do expect this would be built into the process. But it's not today, and it's not just coding. You really need to think about. You need to understand so much of what you're doing to get the good a good output today. So that's definitely something a human is necessary for. 
and also even choosing the right results. So I could get, I could ask it for code, th the same code, three different times, get three different versions <laughs> of code. All of them could work, but maybe right. one's more readable. Maybe one is more focused on security. Um, and you know, as the the human engineer who's um, looking at this, I need to decide which one do I want? And it's not the same for every project. For some projects, one version of code might be better than another. And so there also, there is um, human intelligence, like choosing the right AI output. Um, and then the last thing I would mention that, you know, even, even later, further on down the line, we'll definitely need humans for is really knowing when to use this technology. Um, it's not, you don't always want to use it. Um, if somebody right. was going to, even today, you know, if you think about the fact that most of this, like these tools like ChatGPT haven't been updated past September 2021, if you were going to use it to make any, you know, what kind of cryptocurrency should I um, buy right now? Like, Obviously, you would not want to use it for something like that. Think about how much um, that the crypto um, you know, area has changed since 2021. Um, and even if it got updated more frequently, you still may not want to use it for that purpose. And that's also somewhere where I see humans being very necessary is understanding when should I use it? How should I use it? How can I use it in combination of other tools to really get the best output? And that's not going away. Right. I feel well, like Jack and I sometimes think one month in crypto is almost like a year in, in the normal world. But uh, um, I think one thing which I want to have a discussion on, and maybe I want to bring it home uh, for the crypto audience here since it's a crypto podcast. So you spoke about how ChatGPT or ChatGPT-like services can really augment coding services. And uh, when you are writing smart contracts, the risk of writing wrong code is really high. So maybe if you think about four years ago, if someone said blockchain and AI in the same sentence, like that to me would be really cringy, right? Back then, because it would seem like uh, they're, they're putting all like, the buzzwords together. Use the word uh, metaverse, and then you have the trifecta. <laughs> so have AI, blockchain, put quantum mechanics, uh, quantum <laughs> computing too, and that. And so, and this used to happen a lot in the ICO season, right? Where you had startups doing blockchain and AI in the same product. And I, I never thought that there would be an intersection until now. So in, in the paper that you mentioned, you spoke about how smart contract auditing is one fantastic use case in crypto. Can you explain more? Yeah, so um, like one of the things I tried when using this um, tool is I tried to in take code, introduce bugs, also introduce some security vulnerabilities and see what would happen. And I did this within ChatGPT and it was able to find every single issue that I um, added and, and not only, you know, find it, explain, change the code, explain why it's changing the code in each case and give me back correct code. And so that made me think, you know, this could be a really valuable tool for auditing um, code if you could get a, a tool like this to say, hey, there's a secure <laughs> security vulnerability here. Um, and But I do think this is in combination, again, of your question of are humans still necessary? It's not going to necessarily find everything, especially if you have more vulnerabilities that have in been introduced more recently. Um, and so you do still want to turn to other methods for auditing. But in combination, I think this would definitely be a great tool to add. Um, it's not going to hurt anyway, and it might find some issues that might be overlooked by a human auditor or another auditing tool. And so I do think that there's really a power here in being able to, it learns from so much code. So just adding that type of tool here is um, very powerful. So when you're having it, for instance, review code for you, 
and this is my very naive view of it. It's like ripping a ton of information together uh, around you know, whatever the specifics of this code is. Like, what's the uh, like energy usage and, and cost of actually being able to run each of these? Is that something that's like, uh, it's like a, a Moore's law in effect of like the tech will continue to get better. And so the, the costs are higher now and they'll, they'll come down in the future. So I'm just thinking of how much compute is going on here in order to gather all this information if it's able to perfectly find a lot of these bugs. Creating the models definitely takes up a lot of energy and is definitely, I mean, it's an area that um, the AI engineers who are working on this, some um, the AI researchers are looking into, that definitely is energy intensive. Using the models once they've already um, been created is, um, you know, less <laughs> less of an issue. And so, I mean, the main issue now is that we do have a lot of different companies trying to create the same kind of models. That is a big energy issue. You mentioned something interesting there. Does that mean like right now everyone's talking about OpenAI and ChatGPT? Does this become commoditized to some degree? Or do you think it's like a, a barbell where there's or, or a Pareto's principle of, you know, two or three winners that own the vast majority of the market versus everybody just has freely open access to similar products? I don't think we're going to see tons, but we're already seeing, you know, uh, more than just OpenAI. OpenAI is the most famous because they released it to everybody and it did seem to be the best as well. But really, there are many other, you know, big tech companies, startups that are also creating their own large language model technology that's very, very similar. Some of them are trying to create it to work better in certain types of use cases. Some of them are doing the exact same thing and just making it very general. Um, I don't think we're going to have, though, you know, necessarily hundreds and thousands of companies you know doing this but we will definitely have more than one yeah. more than a handful jack maybe to answer your question from my perspective so um so openai was obviously founded in 2015 and uh, their idea was that we'll build these models or we'll build our technology in an open source way so that everyone can use it and from there they recently switched to hey there are some risks and we'll control it since we don't know how it can be used. Do we really want uh, to, to give access to, to this technology to every single person? And so OpenAI built ChatGPT, which had close to 175 like billion parameters. And, and now it, we don't even know what GPT-4 has because that's now closed source. Similarly, you had Facebook, which recently built out, I don't know if they got street cred for it, but they built out this model called Llama which is significantly smaller. I think their smallest one is close to 7 billion parameters, right? So those are machine learning models which you can run on your phone or even your laptops. And so I, I think one question for you, Sarah, would be where do you see the future of, of running these, these models? Would it be on the phone? Would I be able to get a really smart assistant uh, in the near future where I can just have a, an assistant to delegate all my tasks or most of my tasks? And here is where I would say, yes, it'll be on your phone, but yes, it will be in other places too. It's really going to be, um, there probably will be, you know, some phone version where you could say, okay, book me a flight, <laughs> you know, here's my criteria. Um, but there will also be ways that it's just integrated. I'm middle of writing in Microsoft Word and it just finishes my sentences and, you know, does things for me that I need and formats it well. Um, I'm in PowerPoint and I get all the images I need created automatically on the fly. So it's going to be, um, um, 
yes, it will be um, a tool that you could use very generally um, with, on the phone and other locations as well, but it will also um, be within applications that we're using. Got it. So I do want to talk about some of these use cases which are specifically for crypto. So, uh, so a lot of people are talking about how a lot of these chat GPT models are essentially a black box. And they also talk about having this concept of decentralized training, right? So you run these machine learning models on the blockchain or, or do decentralized trainings on these smart contract platforms. And I know that it's, it's incredibly hard to do, right? Because a lot of these companies have these supercomputers, NVIDIA A100s, which are far, far more powerful than an Ethereum or your favorite L1 can be. But can you just talk about how feasible it is to have the idea of decentralized training? And is that even a good idea in the first place? So what what I um, would potentially like about the idea is right now, if you look at the you know, some of the key sources that go into the training data for something like ChatGPT, it's a lot of uh, one key source is Reddit. And if you look at, you know, who are the primary users of Reddit? Um, it's really you know, men between the ages of 18 and 29. And so one thing that I, I would potentially like about um, if there was more of a decentralized market marketplace, could we somehow use that as a way to have training data that's more inclusive and brings in, you know, other people into the mix? Because I mean, one large area within a large issue within these tools is that there is bias. It's um, not giving you the opinion of everybody. It's giving you opinions that it sees in its data. Um, and the way it sounds, it's written from the way that it learns from its data. And so I would be interested to see, could we somehow use this type of technology as a way to bring more types of people into training data. Yeah, I've almost always imagined this decentralized marketplace where I can opt in to provide my data for training of these machine learning models, right? So I can for 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 some sort of reward. But I think I think that's a that's a fantastic idea. I don't know if that's going to happen soon, but I, I do really think there's a lot of potential there. Um, so one thing which I also want to talk about is is just stable diffusion is. Uh, like generative art. So one use case or intersection, which I have seen, uh, is that there is this sort of unease in instable diffusion and generative art. A lot of times when you look at these new images, right, you have no freaking clue on who made that content. Like, did it actually come from AI or was it Jack making an image uh, of, of doing of, of, of anything, right? And so that's the biggest question. So one possible solution, which I think could be really interesting is the idea of digital signatures, which people in crypto use all the time. So if I'm using a decentralized application, I sign a message saying, hey, I approve my tokens. And so if I'm producing content, I should be able to sign a message or sign the image using cryptography. And that's one piece where I think there might be some intersection. What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Do you think that's, is that something which could be helpful um, to establish provenance? And maybe Jack, feel free to chime in here. Parth, what do you mean when you say stable diffusion? Oh, so Sarah is going to be the best person to answer that. Yes. Can, yeah. So when it comes to generate, we were talking a lot about generating text. I guess we haven't focused that much on the fact that AI can generate more than text. It can also generate images. So it, it could be you could train it on the artwork um, and images all over the um, internet, and 
you can get back some then now you can do the same thing you can do with text you could type a phrase and get back an image and so OpenAI has a version of this called Dolly 2 which it released back in April almost a year ago and it's very very good at creating images and Stable Diffusion is another company that um, also created something very very similar um, Midjourney is another company you'll hear mentioned frequently that also has the same type of tool um, basically it's a way to just send a phrase I want an image of a, a dog drinking coffee with a smile on his face and you'll get that it's able to create new art for you that doesn't exist based on all its training data we did um, Santa Claus chewing bubble gum in front of the White House when we were in the office <laughs> it's impressive so, so going back to the question Sarah do you feel like is there a need for establishing that kind of provenance and uh, do you feel something like digital signatures could help? Because I think I, I see a lot of these newer smartphones uh, or even just cameras where once I export an image, it has a signature on what device this was taken on and the exact timestamp. But do you think that's something which is, are we, are we getting anxious for no reason or is that something which needs to be implemented just to see what the, where the origin of that image is from? I think that's an interesting idea because a big open problem today is that you really can't tell if whether it's an image or text, it's really, really tough to tell is this AI ge generated or not. Um, and so I think if, you know, I don't know how well that type of so solution could work, but if it could, that would be great because this is a problem that needs to be solved. It's a big open problem within this um, generative AI area today. Awesome. Yeah, some of the other AI products that I've seen within crypto, which I think are pretty interesting, they're not directly related to uh, generative AI, but you see some of these um, questions around how you can have, so based on your transaction history or based on the NFTs that I've interacted with, I could use AI as a recommendation engine and see which NFTs I might like in the future, right? So for someone like me, I use NFTs which have some real utility and they are mostly on the DeFi side. And so whenever a new drop comes out or if there are other NFT collections, uh, AI can sort of recommend like, hey, these are the NFTs you should check out. Uh, that to me is not directly related to generative AI, but I think it's a good intersection of AI um, and crypto. Um, I don't know how, how you guys feel about it. Um, any, any thoughts? Yeah, recommendations has been an area we've been using for a long time now with the AI. I mean, we use it with um, mo movies and shopping and pretty much everything else. So, yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> it seems like a pretty good, easy use case, and it doesn't need the latest technologies to work. Yeah, the the YouTube algorithm or or Netflix, they're pretty pretty accurate. You can get stuck <laughs> on either of those platforms for quite a while based solely on the suggestions. If you, if you like YouTube and Netflix, try try TikTok uh, based on recommendations. <laughs> but I, but uh, on that note, I just want to quickly give a shout out again to um, Ermin um, Agdogan and Chris McGohan for publishing the report with you. So full disclosure, before coming into this uh, podcast, I actually asked uh, Chad GBD on what questions I should ask an AI researcher. And so a lot of these questions are from there. So I want maybe a shout out to them. I'll pretend my answers are from there too. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me here. This was great. All right. Bye, guys.
Digital assets are speculative and highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and are only for those investors willing to risk losing some or all of their investment and who have the experience and ability to evaluate the risks and merits of an investment. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any fidelity entity or any third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at the time and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or use by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trademark Marks appearing herein are the property of the respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023. FMR LLC. All rights reserved. 1040156.